Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission, to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee Podcast. Today, guys, we are lucky enough to be joined with a man that you guys have asked me for on many occasions, and I'm in the place where we can deliver that. The guy is a serial entrepreneur. He's been involved with Gymshark. He's been involved with Hera most recently. He's been involved in football at all different levels. Mr. Paul Richardson, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Frankie. Welcome to my playground. Welcome welcome to your playground. Welcome to the gym. I mean, what a a setup this is. Yeah, Uh, it's, uh, it's my home gym. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got, uh, obviously I've got uh, Jim Shot Lifting Club as well, which I go to, which is the big playground. Yeah, but this is a smaller one. This is, this is, he, he says it's small, but he's being really modest right now because it's, it's, it's the most well-equipped gym you'll ever see in your entire life. But Paul, man, what, what, a, what a journey of a career you've had over the time in terms of business and everything that you've done. But I really want to give the, to give the audience a real insight into you. I want to take it way back to, to obviously when it first started, like with you, like, I suppose you, not, not so much the childhood, but like when you were 18 years old, you became a shareholder in a business and it was obviously waste management and kind of what, what kind of propelled you even getting into all that? Um, it was a, it was a, a family business. I mean, it, we, we can go further back if you want. Yeah, go, I mean, go, I yeah. think there's some, a couple of interesting points because, you know, when you, you look at where you've got to in life, you wonder where you've come from. Yeah. Um, and I think people do. Um, my, my life's quite interesting from a start where, you know, my mom um, was born in 1959 and you're supposed to say, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, 1959, my mom and, and dad met and, uh, my mom got pregnant and then basically um, my dad ran off. So my mom was left to take me to what was going to be an orphanage at the time. And um, when, she, when, she, when I was born, she decided at that point in time that she, she couldn't give me away to the orphanage. So she took me back home to her mom and dad and, uh, and that was the start. Nice. So, you know, it was a real, quite an unusual sort of start, but it gives a reflection on, you know, my, where my, my sort of dad was coming from and... Um, my dad was a bit of a lad, uh, to say the very least. He was a market trader. Um, but, you know, um, his initial sort of running off, he did come back uh, a, a while later, you know, about uh, eight or nine months later. And, and they, got, they got together and, you know, sort of... My granddad was a tough old boy. I mean, he didn't take kindly to it, but um, he sort of straightened my dad up and, and you know, they, they stuck together. So sort of it goes right back to there, really, where, where things started. So he kind of, he kind of, he kind of made your dad take account for, for obviously looking after the family and, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, and you know, my dad was he was a bit of a, bit of a lad, as I say. I mean, he he, um, he was a sort of 
you know, a petty criminal at times and ended up, you know, uh, went to, to prison a couple of three times. Um, so nothing bad, but it was just his, you know, he wasn't a very good criminal, let's put it that way. Um, but eventually at the right time, he decided after my mom sort of said to him, never again, you're not doing that again to me. Um, he went into business where he, he had a, a, I think it was a grocery store. Um, and that was his start off in business. And, uh, you know, he, he came up from absolutely nothing. I think our first, um, just flicking back again there, our first place to live with me and my mum and my dad was a caravan, a two-birth caravan attached to a van on a pub car park. And that's sort of where it all started. And my mum didn't know where he got the caravan from, by the way. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if you've lost a caravan, guys, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's not responsible. Yeah. But in relation to like, see, seeing... When you, I mean, how old were you when you first realised that you kind of, you kind of, you did you realise when you were younger that you, your dad had kind of like had to really step up? Did is that something you'd felt? F- yeah, I mean, I was um, I'm from a family of four. In the end, there was there's four of us: got a brother and two sisters. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always interested. He, he was a hard worker, even though he'd made some mistakes in life. You know, but he, he, he sort of turned it around. But he, he was always a hard worker, always a good provider in life. I talked to my mum about that now. My mum's still alive. Um, she's 90, 91. Um, and she always says to me that he always worked really hard. He would like his cigarettes and he would like a drink, but he always put the food on the table first. And I think that's always stuck in my head as, as, you know, as a really, really good thing in that you know, you're a provider, you're a protector. And I've taken that through all of my life. You know, yeah. especially with my family and people close to me. And yes, yeah, I suppose you know, having daughters and stuff like that as you're trying to bring them through, you, you always want to provide something for them. Do you know what I mean? And, and in business as well, you like to take care of of your business and stuff like that before you start. Because I know when we we're talking pre-podcast, and we'll, we'll flick back into this in the future of the story, but it's like it's like knowing when to when to take money out of the business and when to keep it in there to keep that thing thing rolling on, isn't it? Yeah, there's 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 different types of businesses, and you know, at the end of the day, you work really hard and you want to try and. Um, get something to show for it you know some people like to show more than they've got I mean um, but you know that's up to them I think for me it's a case of of doing sort of both you know you you, you need to reward yourself as you're going along accordingly um, so that you can keep going you know making it worthwhile what's your goals what you what you're looking for some people it is money some people want the wealth and everything goes with it and with other people it, it it's not quite that it can be all sorts of reasons you know it can be status it can be you know, proving themselves or, you know, insecurities they're trying to um, sort of quash as they go along. Yeah, did did you, from from your childhood and the way that your childhood carried out, did you have anything that you kind of had to, to, to get over and move through in terms of like your mind and, and kind of like your feelings towards certain things that may have happened as you were growing up? Um, I was really, really shy as a child, you know, and um, that alone was, sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of a loner. Um, but I always loved work, always loved, my dad used to go and, and he'd work and I always wanted to be with him to, to, to do work of some description. I was always, you know, um, I wanted to learn more all the time about things. And I think it was the work that I realised I was actually quite good at. And I was, I was used to, you know, I could, hard, I could work hard, you know, probably not the brightest in the world. But I think it was overcoming that shyness. Um, I know when I was younger, I had a, a, a stammer. And, um, you know, I don't quite remember it, but sort of it's, it's there somewhere. My mom's told me about it. 
Um, so I think it was that sort of um, shyness, insecurity um, uh, sort of thing that made me want to prove myself. Yeah, and when did you start going to to learn like the elements of business that have took you to where you are now? Like when when did you start to feel that entrepreneurial pull in terms of like I don't want to have just a job where I go to work every day. I want to want I want to go into business. I want to be I want to be a leader of my own destiny. I think that was watching my dad. You know, he wasn't the the most sophisticated businessman at all. You know, far from it probably. Um, but just watching him do the things he did, you know, doing different sort of deals, buying and selling things and, you know, um, always trying to stay ahead. A little bit of ducking and diving, that sort of thing. But just watching, you know, you you get so much from from observing and watching and staying, almost sometimes staying quiet, but just observing what's going on and thinking, okay, yeah, I I can take that on board. So I think, you know, that was from a really young age when I used to do that. You know, because I was with my dad quite a lot. And with other people as well, you know, his friends and business guys. Because they were all self-employed. They were all, all, you know, they didn't have a proper job. Yeah, and I think England is is one of them places where a lot of people starting off have to bob and weave here in terms of like do a little bit of this and a little bit of that to make a little bit of cash to go and do this over here. Like everyone has that kind of upbringing here where you have to kind of hustle. I I think they do. Um, I think it's less and less now. I think people think it's a lot easier now to just, you know, start something online, have a load of Instagram sort of followers, and they can sell to them. Yep. And they, they don't actually realise the sort of you know, things you've got to do, the ducking and diving, you know, as a, for instance, you know, you know, I've done it a few times where I've gone to the cash point on a Friday with my credit card, drawn the cash out so I can pay the wages for the guys that work for me. You know, and I don't know if today people would do that. That yeah. level of commitment. And you're talking about doing that on your personal credit card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Business, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because again, you know, you're realising that your, your, you know, your workers, no matter if it's one or 101 or 1,001, they're there to get paid at the end of the week or the end of the month. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you can't let them down. And obviously you, you feel that pull because obviously when you're working so closely with these people, you know that they've got families, they've got mortgages, yep. they've got everything else to pay. And, you, and, and as a brand owner or brand builder or, or CEO of anything, you kind of, you kind of wear that, don't you? Oh, yeah, it's your responsibility. You take that on board. You know, you, you, you take in the accolades and all the sort of the, the headlines, but also you're taking the shit as well because you have to. And if you don't, then you shouldn't be in that position. You know, but sometimes, you know, I've had whole families work for me. You know, the, the mom, the dad, the son, the daughter, the cousins, you know, in the waste businesses, that's what it was generally like, you know, sort of, you didn't do the process like I would have done, say, further down the line at more professional businesses, you know, it was who can do this job? Oh, yeah, I know them. Okay, get them in, we'll get them to do it. And you end up with a whole family. And, you know, that's a, that's a big responsibility. Yeah, because obviously there's a, there's a lot of risk if you've got to lay anyone off. And, yeah, and you, yeah. Do, do you've, do you, is that a pressure? Obviously, you're a dad. Is that a pressure? Like, is it similar to like being a dad? Is it a similar pressure in terms of like the dynamic of r- being a CEO where you've got these families working for you and then your own family? Is it the same kind of pressure or is it, is it slightly different? The own family working for you or just no, no, no. I mean, no, I mean, isn't like you know, you you feel like a you feel like you got to protect and provide for your daughters oh, and 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 systemize it, that. But then obviously you feel like this family who's worked for you for twenty years. Is at this point, anyone who works for you is part of your family. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, you're there to you're there to protect them. I mean, you know, for me, when you've got a team of people, if you're a leader of that team of people, whatever it might be, whether it's five or five hundred, I always say, and I've said this to teams in the past, is 
if something happens, I'll take the bullet for you. I'll take that bullet, but I'm going to come back with a bullet and I'm going to say right now, how do, who, who caused me to have that bullet? But to the outside world, I don't want them to know that it was someone back here. I'm going to protect you. Yeah. And you see that, a lot of that now with football managers, if you notice. They yeah. don't criticise their team, but damn right when they go back in that dressing room, you give them hell to play. Yeah. And that's okay. I think Mourinho is, is a phenomenal man manager of doing of doing that. You know, he'll hand, I've seen him hand it to yeah. people when they need handing it to, but at the end of the day, he knows. Yeah, you need to take that, take the bullets, but then, you know, you should be tougher and more resilient than, than the guys in behind you, hopefully, because that's where you are and that's why you're there. But then you can sort of go back and say, okay, guys, now what went wrong? Yeah. You know, what the fuck went wrong? Come on. And then you get it out there and you have that behind the scenes. Close doors, that's okay. Sort it out, come back out again, everything's happy. Yeah, there's, I think there's too much these days in people transacting personal problems or business problems in the public domain. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, there's a lot of things that are different now. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about, um, probably in the last three years, especially about working a little bit different, you know. Um, I'm not a massive believer in this big committee type decision-making thing. I think, you know, people love leaders and they aspire to be a leader. They look up to leaders. Um, you know, you don't dictator, but a leader's different. Yeah. So you just want to make sure that you can come, you know, ultimately the decision lies with you. And then, and then when the decision lies with you as a, as a business or brand owner, you can, you can then know when something goes wrong, you're happy to take full responsibility of it because you, you, you finalize that decision. Whereas if it's a committee, isn't it? You, you kind of think, well, I didn't even really want to do that, but I got outvoted four, five to one. Yeah. I I think, I think there's a lot of time it's the best idea wins. I mean, that's a Steve Hewitt saying, and I really believe in it. So I think you can have an element of like checking in with your team and you know stuff like that but I don't think it should be you know by committee you know I'm just a believer in leaders you know and and then but then leaders who stand on yeah you know you stand on for what you've done and okay fine come back and and there's nothing better I think than sometimes when you do make that mistake and you will you know I mean success is just making more good decisions than bad it's as simple as that as far as I'm concerned Um, but when you make that wrong decision or something goes wrong you just say, right, okay, yeah, I got that wrong, didn't I, guys? And if you admit that in front of your team, you'll find empathy and, you know, they'll, they'll admire you more for doing that than you would do if you just go, oh, that was someone else's fault over there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think, I think it's that self-awareness to know that, you know, where, where the responsibility lies as well. Yeah, yeah, it lies with you. Did, did you find, do you find self-awareness is something that's gone on and developed in you it's not something. Was it something that was natural to you, or was it something that's that's developed massively over the like the last ten or twenty years? I think it's developed, and I think it just consistently keeps developing. You learn new things all the time. So you know um, what I was like. Manage, I mean, you know, I believe managing people is probably the best skill set you'll ever have, because again, you can be really talented at something, but managing people is the hardest thing to ever do, um, because they're living, moving things. Um, for me it's developed over time and you know people have changed so you have to adapt yourself so you know just because I'm I'm my age I can't I can't think the same can't operate the same as I did when I was 30 right because things are now different you know different things can be said um, different things work with people psychology is different but again you know for me it's you learning as you go along soaking it up and taking it on board what are some of the like key psychology pieces that you've learned over time 
in a, in the way that you communicate that gets the best out of people then? Literally all of them. Everyone's different. So they require a different way of talking to them. Um, some people, you know, need a real big push. Some people need their arms around, around them. Um, you know, some people might even need shouting at sometimes, you know, different things. But I think for me, it's the adaptation of all the different ways of doing it, especially if you're operating with a team of some description, whether that's C-suite yeah. or whether it's, you know, just, you know, just a smaller team, you know, that you, you, you're managing of some description, you know, if you're a manager or a team lead or whatever. The same applies all along. I think for me, it's always about sort of adapting the different levels you've got to do. And almost like the way I look at it is you're the conductor, of an orchestra and you've got you know the trombone player the you know the violinist and the trumpet player they're all different they're all wonderful in their own right but they all require a different sort of level of of but you're there to bring them together yeah make that sort of that one sound second sound third sound now it's a song or it's yeah. a, a symphony a symphony yeah yeah, and you, and I suppose again with that, it's something that comes to you over time. It's like you don't just go in one day meet someone, and you, I, I presume you don't just meet someone and think, ah, oh, this this is someone I'm going to have to put a rocket up at some point no, in time. Need to you need, you need to weigh things up. You need to um, just get to know them. Um, but for me, it, it 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 is a constant learning curve. You know, if if you want to keep learning, like I do. I enjoy it, you know, the different dynamics of all the different, you know, you're ranging now, they start calling them the millennials, Gen Z or you know, whatever they are. I love learning about how they think and what they do. And, um, you know, that, 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 a lot of that came from Jim Sharp because that was sort of, sort of having to manage so many people and think about so many people. You had to understand why they thought like they thought. Yeah. So, you know, get into it. Psychology, that's the thing. I just want to take it back because obviously waste management was your first business. Is it something that kind of you you thought do you know what I can really like push push this on here from because obviously you went into that that was your dad's business right yeah it was it was originally my dad's business um, and it was a, a small sort of skip hire business um, I used to work there you know worked every hour I could and then when I left school um, went to work there as a mechanic I couldn't drive trucks at that time you had to be twenty one um, so I worked as a mechanic and and you know under horribles smelly trucks and things like that um suddenly realized that within that business my dad as i said was a was a a a good businessman but only to a certain point and you know we had older trucks we had older equipment and everything used to break down all the time and it was really hard work but he didn't really like debt you know right he dealt in cash he didn't really like debt so again, you know, it was if he, if he could buy the truck, you know, it would be a used one. If I buy, you know, containers, skips would be used. So, you know, and that was fantastic. That was okay. But I saw that there was more to the marketplace. And, and at that time, Skipar was sort of like fledgling sort of, you know, it was just starting off. I mean, skips at that time were £8 to, to hire a big skip. Wow. So, you know, that, if anyone's in the UK listening, they'll know they're sort of £250 now or something. So that's how yeah. far back that goes. Um, I left in protest when I was uh, 19. Is that just because you weren't seeing them? Yeah, I couldn't get him to change and um, I left in protest and I I went to work in a factory where it was sort of eight or five or whatever and did that and um, sort of had no stress for a while. And eventually we used to talk all the time and, and, you know, we sort of fell out, but then we we sort of didn't, you know, we hadn't fallen out, you know. And eventually he, he said, I want you to come back. And I said, I'll only come back if we do this, this and this. And that was to buy two new trucks. 
and some you know more equipment and things like that and he agreed and we did that and we just blossomed from there and we you know we then became um that I think that was back in I was it was in the 80s yeah so um we then became the largest sort of we went went from skip hire to waste management company in the west midlands in really quick time and we had you know like 100 trucks and thousands of containers and etc but it was that starting point of me proving to him that okay we're going to go into debt to do what we've got to do but it will be okay it will be okay because we're going to earn far more than we could have done before and we're going to be more reliable and all the rest of it and how important do you think debt is to a business in terms of being able to use that to be able to use that to grow i think it has to be sensible um but I definitely think it's it's part of a business and you can't really, it's very difficult to avoid. Um, a lot of businesses now, you know, immediately put huge valuations on themselves really early doors and start raising money um, and selling equity and things like that. And again, that's just another, it's a different route than we did, you know, way, way, way back. Um, you know, we did it all through organic or a bank overdraft or higher purchase and stuff like that. Um I definitely think it's part of it. You just need to manage it because, again, if you if you're if you're taking you know uh, borrowing money, at, I'll use a number at the moment, five percent, but you can earn twenty five percent, then the numbers stack up. Then the numbers go. Yeah, so it's, it's, but it's, it's no good borrowing at five if you're only earning five. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's all about a, it's a numbers game when you're talking about yeah. debt and taking on capital. Isn't it? Yeah, being sensible and it's making sure sometimes there's no choice. You know, sometimes it can be equity. You know, you want to release again. That's you know. That's a good. That's okay. You know, again, it's you might as well own fifty percent of a much bigger pie than one hundred percent of a small pie. Well, if you look at the look at the major brands like Apple and Microsoft and stuff like that, even though they've got cash cash on the balance sheet, they'll still take on more debt than spend the cash on the balance sheet. Yeah, there's just a lot of places do that. A lot of you know uh, very wealthy people do it, where you know to to, to borrow money is cheap. So again, they'll use borrowed money instead because again, less of a risk. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a phenomenal way to operate as long as you understand how the how the breakdown goes in terms of the returns yeah. on on the investment. Yeah. Isn't it? So obviously you, you you go into waste management, at, then you exited that business. Did you you took an exit from the waste management firm? Yeah, so we um, we sold that company in 1989. So uh, before maybe a lot of the listeners might have even been born, but um, I was one. <laughs> yeah, I was just under 30. So we sold it to an American company, second biggest in the world. And, you know, they sold us a story of, you know, taking me and I was going to be this wonderful thing and I was going to manage all these sort of places. Um, that didn't happen. You know, um, it was all a bit of a sort of red herring and it really wasn't, that wasn't working. So um, I stayed there for 21 months and then I started my own, waste company up um, in 1992 so that was my next one and um, there wasn't a non-competing component it was three years from right. 89 to to uh, 92 in between time my dad passed away I passed away when I was uh, 30 so um, he had that sort of uh, wealth and money for about a year he didn't he didn't really enjoy it it wasn't really what he wanted he still drove around in a, a, a van I think I had to buy him a Mercedes I made him buy a Mercedes um, which he'd always wanted. And I sort of literally went, took him down to the showroom and said, right, you're having that one. But he was uh, quite a humble man. Is that when you first learnt that, you know, mon- money isn't isn't always the, the end goal in terms of like having all that wealth but, and, but then not being part of something or not having a bigger purpose than you 
you, you know, was always important as well. Yeah, it, I think you know when I did that, they they promised me so much, and and it was I thought, well, this is this will be real. I say good fun. This will be good for me. I was just under thirty years old, but yeah, it 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 wasn't. You know, we had we had money. Um, my father passed, and then it was okay, fine. Now what we're going to do? But you know that that spurred me on. Um, you know, um, wanted to prove uh, you know I could do it on you know totally on my own. Although a lot of the time, you know, my, my dad didn't take an active part towards the end. He wasn't very well. Um, but yeah, starting again was was just an amazing thing to do. And you know, again, from '92 to 2000, we built up again the largest waste management company um, in the Midlands. In and 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 you know, yeah, really successful. And we sold it to the company that bought the previous company. So you t- so you took an eighteen year eighteen years to get back to where uh, you were eight years eight years to get yeah. back to where you were yeah yeah really, it's fast progress again oh it was much bigger so I think the turnover of the first one was around two point two million uh, the second time I was at uh, ten million and then you and then you exit that exited in two thousand. What what was it like to to exit that again? Was it like a bit of a bittersweet moment for you? Like you know, we, we, I've just I've just kind of proved myself to you guys again, and just sold you another company now. Yeah, it was it it wasn't as good as you think. It's again, you know, I've listened to a lot of the people talk about this, where you get to that summit, and then it's like, so what? What now? And and I know that was a moment for me because I immediately went in and bought two other companies. And sort of launched off again to do some other stuff. You didn't um, give yourself no break. I had about a week off, which was a real mistake. Yeah, I should have had a long, longer time off because it was a hard work around that time. Yeah, just because you're still processing all the stuff from yeah, your dad you, and everything. Uh, well, no, I was I was years on from that. But doing the sale of, of the second company was, um, you know, I was I was selling the company, which is hard enough as you're doing it. Because again, in in, in those days, you didn't want to tell your staff what you're doing because you know it wasn't the done thing and you needed to hide it and you know then eventually you have to tell someone and you're really worried about it um i was then negotiating for the new companies at the same time and also you're running the company that you've got so big strain and puts a big strain on you which was it was hard work but then you know getting there to have that amount of money and thinking okay i've got this and you know you buy your holiday home in in spain or whatever and you do what you do um but it it's still not enough you know, it's what's what's next. So when you when you when you were a kid, when you were eighteen, and all that stuff, and when you first got into waste management, did you ultimately have a, a set goal? Was it like was there a goal of like ten million, fifteen million, or was there was there any goals in in that respect, or was it just like, or is it just something you're just like, let's just keep going, keep My spinning? My goals all around cars. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wanted yeah. a Porsche when I was twenty five because in 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 those days you you couldn't insure uh, a Porsche. Until you were twenty five, literally couldn't couldn't do it. It was simply like that. There's, I think nowadays you can. It just costs you a fortune. So I achieved that, and it was yeah. There was mainly lots of smaller goals in, in terms of, of, of that. But um, it's always been for me is about you know being self sufficient, having the choice for what I want to do. Um, it was never about you know um, in essence sort of having the a yellow Lamborghini and, and, and showing that to everyone. I've had Porsches since I was twenty five. So, again, I used to drive to work in the waste management company in a Porsche. You know, yeah. it was just one of them things. But everyone knew that I would be in, in, in work, bef- you know, sort of six in the morning. I wouldn't leave till six or seven at night or later sometimes. So, as far as I was concerned, I earned it. You know, it didn't bother me that people might say, oh, he's got a Porsche. I'd say, well, fine. You know, I work really hard. So, you get over it. 
Yes, yeah, so, so like literally like every goal that you had in regards to business was just all about like, you know, I want to have the Porsche, I want to have this car, I want to have this car, I want to have this yeah, car. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, I mean, it was a house, a Porsche, it was, it was quite small, small things. Again, you know, in comparison to people wanting 10 million, 20 million, maybe nowadays, um, I think I was maybe, but it was, it, for me also, it was about uh, being successful. You know, I think it goes back to that childhood thing about being shy. It was showing that, you know, okay, I can do this and, you know, I can overcome. You know, I started with absolutely nothing. You know, as I said, where my mum and dad came from, I think that's relevant. So, you know, I wasn't handed anything. So, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I've, 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 you know I'm, I'm helping my kids now. I'm giving them a head start, I believe. Um, I don't believe I'm handing stuff to them. Why I look at it is they've now got a head start that I never had. You know, yeah. if I'd have had that head start, who knows where I might have got to. But how do you define success for you? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. That's a real good question. I think for me, um, I, like, I like to be independent. I like to be, in, in, you know, I say in control. I like the choice that the success gives me in terms of... Um, the, the money, which is one thing that will give me the choices that I can make, um, but I think it's it's what I've done for the industries I've been in, and making a mark, actually leaving your mark to say, you know, people will remember you for that. That's really important to me. The legacy side of things is really important. You know, a sort of waste management would not be the same if I hadn't have been in it, and I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, you know. I was in nappy recycling, you know. I was regarded as the second most knowledgeable person in the world on it, you know. And again, I've left a legacy there of what we did. Because you designed all the tech around how nappies could be recycled yeah, yeah. When, when, when nappies were going into landfill, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we built pilot plants and, and it was, you know, um, proved that you could recycle dirty nappies and incontinent waste. But again, I think it, it, it's, it's that sort of... Um, Proving that you can do something, um, doing it different, leaving that legacy where people will can look back and think, okay, that was that was Paul Richardson, you know, he was there, and that's that's quite important to me. It's it's just the it's just the knowing that you've touched something and left something to the world for yeah. you, rather than yeah. that, and then ultimately then the freedom of what comes from the capital that you can generate from business. Yeah, I mean, it gives you choice. I mean, money, you know, does not give you the happiness that everyone might think, or some people might think, so not everyone. Um, but it, it, it will give you the choice, you know, and whatever that choice might be. My passion is, is the gym. You know, it gives me the choice to have a gym here at home that, you know, I can I can not use at any other gym if I didn't want to. Um, and sometimes that choice is what I want. I don't want to be outside. Yeah. I want to be here and de-stress in my own gym, which is great. Because obviously your passion in the gym is obviously powerlifting. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've just the gym, uh, but I, I do like lifting heavy. That's my thing. I like to lift. Um, you know, um, I've, I've done the bodybuilding competition, did that when I was about 53, I think, 54. Um, so, you know, got my little sort of pants on and went on stage and all, you know, tanned up. Um, that was great fun. I really, really enjoyed that. I would love to do it again. Um, I just, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, but it, it's again, it's just something to say you've actually done it. Cause how old are you right now? 63. 63 and you want to do it again? I'd love to do it again. So when so when, when, when I'm going to hold you to this, you know I'm going yeah, to hold you to I'd, this, right? I'd, if I can get the time, which again 
my family will be moaning at me again, saying, "Where are you going to get the time from?" But yeah, I'd, I'd love to do. I'd love to do it again. Get I'm, on stage I'm, I, when when this happens. I'm coming to watch. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say wherever I am in the world. <laughs> I swear down. If you get on stage again yeah. at 64, 65, in that condition, yeah. it's on. It's on. Yeah. We're doing it. But I just, I just think. Um, obviously, you know, you, you've gone through such a, an extraordinary journey because of how many industries you've been in. It's, it's, it's the amount, when, when when you read through your book of industries, you go from waste management, you go All Saints, you go Gymshark, you go, you know, Hera, you bought that brand, and there's probably other things that I don't know in between. But it's like, is is that is that part of <coughs> your drive towards this success is to you? It's just to, it's just to touch as many different industries and niches as possible as well. Well, they're sort of connected um, in in a way. I mean, to be fair with, with uh, you know, it looks like with All Saints, I didn't do a lot at All Saints in terms of, of the, the, the sort of business itself. I was around to buy it, I was around to help, and I was around to, uh, you know, Mick Dunn and, and Stuart Trevor, the guys that did most of the work there. Um, but again, you know, if I hadn't have been there and I hadn't have been involved, it wouldn't have happened. Um, but a sort of, you know, a little bit of knowledge there that I gained when it went into Gymshark, it, it taught me the most about sort of the, the, the e-com and retail sales environment, you know, like I, I'd never really knew. So for me now going into Hera, it's made that a lot easier. But again, it's, it's not me knowing everything. And I think we spoke earlier about, yeah, we did, you know, yeah. um, business and, and, you know, employing people who are far better than you at what they do. So for me, um, um, that's what it's about. And it, it comes from a, a, a guy, he's, pa- he's passed away now, a guy called Rod Actual, an old fr- friend of mine. Um, we were sitting in, in uh, south of France somewhere on, on holiday, way, 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 way back. And he had a, a, a fish company. So he brought crab sticks into the UK, the, the fish sticks, whatever you call them. Yeah. He brought, he's famous for bringing those into the UK. And then he went and had a construction company. And I was asking him, and I was like, how do you go from that to that? And he said, well, I don't have to lay bricks to have a construction company. I just need to know how to manage people and employ the best that do laying bricks, etc. And that really stuck with me. So whenever there's been an opportunity come up that, you know, moving into Gymshark was, was you know, in essence, okay, well, what do you know about that? But it wasn't. I didn't have to know how to sell something or how to make a legging or whatever. So for me, it was about doing what I do best, which was organising the... Um, you know the things in the background and putting the foundations in with people like Steve Hewitt and, and, and Rich Chapel and those sort of guys and, and letting the other guys do their do their tricks do, do their things, you know yeah. do, do what they do and, and, and that's the same with anything else now you know it's just about making sure you've got the best people in the best position and managing those people because obviously Ben holds you entirely responsible for putting in the structure that was put in at Gymshark to be able for them to be where they are today he, spe- he, sp- he speaks about that in quite a few videos yeah I mean I, I was uh, luckily they could afford to have someone like me in the background when I went full time uh, so when we finished at No Waste and um, you know Gymshark was there saying come on we need you we need you we need you I was like okay I went and it was well, you know what do you do best and it, it was you know I'd already done several things you know um bringing accountants in, the right accountants, bringing the right insurers in, um, bringing the right lawyers in. You know, people are trusted implicitly that, you know, the lawyers were far too big for Gymshark at the time, but they gave us great advice and, you know, they've stuck with Gymshark all the way through and they're still my lawyers now on all the transactions I do. Um, 
accountants, lawyers and things like that. And then it was having me in the background to be able to do some of the things that um, would harm the business if, you know, you had to slow it down. So, you know, um, when when Lewis, you know, I think was maybe 2016-ish, I'm not sure, um, you know, when Lewis was, was coming out of the business, I handled most of that. And, and, and in that period, you know, we went from sort of, um, I think, 13 mil turnover to 41. Following year, we went from 41 to over 100. So, you know, it meant that the guys could still concentrate on their stuff while I was in the background building some of the stuff and, you know, um, helping out with, say, the 3PL. You know, starting off that, we hadn't done 3PL. Property, I helped out with all the sort of, a little bit boring from, from some people, but very necessary. Yeah. You know, otherwise, you know, yeah. you're building on sand. Yeah, the infrastructure that Gymshark have in, in, in terms of 3PLs and the, and the partnership they've gone, I can't figure the name of the company. Blackman. Blackman, yeah. Blackman, Blackman and, and Gymshark, the way that they operate together across the world now is just phenomenal. Well, that, that, that also comes from some of the, the stuff that Steve and I, you know, uh, really recommended to Ben at the time, which is about partnerships. So again, you know, for me, you know, one of the biggest things you'll learn in business is, you know, if you just want to do a deal with someone once, then... There can only be one winner. You know, you can nail someone so far down on price that literally they can't afford to do the job or it's substandard or whatever it is and you'll never use them again. If you start to realise that everyone has to earn money in business, that's what you're in it for as a general rule because you've got to pay your bills first. Yeah, We all want to have a nice business life as well and we want to enjoy it. But, you know, it's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a commerce thing there. There's a money thing there. You make partnerships over time, and that means that then through time and good times and bad times, those partners will work with you. So when you need something back off that partner, they'll, they'll say, okay, yeah, fine, because they helped us out a couple of years ago, didn't they, on this? So I think you know, that in particular, the Bletman and there's many other partnerships in, the, in Gymshark and other businesses that I deal with, it's one of the biggest things for me is build partnerships throughout your business life. And then you can also then go back to them to help you in something else like I've done. So it's, about, it's all, all to you about structuring the win-win so that every time you go into a transaction, no one's leaving like they've, been, like they've feel, like, felt like they've lost something. I always go in thinking, we're both actually rowing the same way. You know, even though I'm buying off you, we're actually rowing the same way. We want to do something with a product or a service. So I'm trying to understand what you want out of it. And if I think you're asking me too much, then I'm going to start sort of questioning you and trying to work out, yeah, okay, are they, are they trying to get too much out of this? And then also saying, well, this isn't just a one deal. You know, we want to get this as more deals. So, you know, let's, let's see where we can get. And, and getting it to a partnership. So understanding the other person or the people, company, you know, it's like understanding your enemy in a sense. You know, if you were at war, you're trying to understand what their next move is and why their next move is their next move. Yeah. And it's like that, but it's a partnership. That's yeah. what you're trying to do. And w- working out, you're shaking hands at the end, actually rowing that way down that yeah. sort of river. Because at the end of the day, when you're talking about like what Blackman and Gymshark have, it, they, they've, both got the same, they, they've both got the same end goal, really, when you, when you actually break it down. Because w- one holds product and one makes product. And yeah. together... He puts it in the customer's yeah. hand, and if they both do that, then they're both going to win. Yeah, and it, it's you know it's the same for the lawyers. You know, the lawyer you know wants to get the deal done. You know, the lawyer's going to be far more careful than you are doing that deal because they're, they're they're lawyers. They're naturally careful people, so you need to get the lawyer to be commercial with you and understand what the risk is, and then basically you'll work together and you'll say to them, 
okay, I'm okay with that risk. I know you're not, but I'm okay with it. I'm the client, so let's put that together and then we get the deal signed off. Yeah. And and you're working together to get it done. So it becomes a partnership rather than thinking, oh, was shit advice, wasn't it? You know, because actually, you tried to nail them on price. Yeah, because you're nailing everything down and, you know, you, you want to get the best deal, you want to get the best whatever you want to get. But, you know, for me, the long term is far better. It's far more enjoyable. And it, I believe it's far more profitable in the end for everyone. So everyone wins. Yeah. Would you say then that that most of the people that you're that you're around in business are just people that you consistently do business with over the years in different ventures? I've done that for quite a while. I mean, I'm just talking to one of my companies now um, that I'm, I've just uh, got involved with, BB Iconics, and they want to do something with the NHS in Scotland. Well, I, with with no waste, I dealt with the government and the NHS in Scotland. So I've got to dig out my phone book <laughs> and dig out my stuff there to say, okay, fine. There might be old contacts because it's a little while. But if they're still there or they know someone who's still there, I can then go, do you remember me? They'll say yes. And then we can go back in and hopefully I can yeah. just pass that on to these guys and connect them straight into the Scottish government or NHS or something like that. And, and that's and that's the and that's where the value comes yeah, in. Yeah, because again, I didn't leave the Scottish government or the NHS guys there with a big sour taste in their mouth. You know, we did some good work. We did some fantastic things. So we left on a good, a good footing. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love, I love the analogy of how you of how you position it, and then constantly throughout your life, you can go back and call on things that you. And yeah. as long as you've left it in a good position, you've kind of, you know, put put it yeah, in a good set. And it, you know, sometimes it doesn't always happen. You know, yeah. it doesn't always happen. But you know, I always think. You know, I used to think when when we had the waste contracts. You know, and and you know, someone else, like another company, would go in, and they would give them a better price and whatever. And you know, rather than sort of bitching over it and pulling all the containers out and leaving the customer in the lurch, come out gracefully because the likelihood is that company that's gone in might mess up and who's they're going to call? They're going to probably call you back in and then you're going to go, okay, yeah, well, I was doing it for £5. Unfortunately, now it's costing £5.50. But, you know, you know you're getting a good service because the last people just let you down. So, And they'll go, oh, yeah, okay, fine. And then you're back in again. But again, you're left gracefully, thoughtfully, respectfully. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, 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 he- I'm hearing every word you're saying right there because, because I think about some of the times when I could have done business with certain people, but they would kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, and yeah. I'm like, well, it's a bit unfortunate now because we could have done some good yeah. business here. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, why did you have to operate like that? Yeah. Because it just, it just costs nothing, does it? It's short term, isn't it? Yeah, short term. You know, some people always want to nail that deal. I want the absolute cheapest possible. Everything. Da 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 da. Feel like they're in the power seat all the time. Well, even when you don't get the lowest price. You're still in the power seat. You've got yeah. the job done and you yeah. probably get it done better. And then you'll get the next job as well and the next job and the next job. And it's about removing that ego so that everything doesn't have to be about you yeah. in business because yeah. it's, two. It's, two two, it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, you've both got to win here. You've got to let them win what they want. And, you know, I've done loads of deals. I mean, we do, we do stuff now whereby, you know, if we're in a contract scenario, um, you might throw some things in you want to give them back. You never wanted them in the first place. So, you know, when you, when you, maybe you're buying a company or something, you might put three clauses in you never wanted in the first place, but you always can give them it, back afterwards. If you, so if they, so if they pass, you yeah. win. And if they, if they call up and say, I don't want that in there, you say, no worries, we'll take okay, that I'll out. I'll take that out, I'll just give you that. 
Yeah, and then and then that's that's such that's such honestly that is wisdom. That is whoever's listening to this, just real dial into that because I think that I think that is gold. I think that is a gold way to operate. I want to take it back again because obviously uh, people might not know this, but I want people to know this. Like you, you were known as the business guy in the gym, right? In the David Lloyd back in the day, and you know Ben and Lewis they approached they approached you for advice all the time when when they were in the early days of Gymshark. What did you kind of see in them that made you think, you know, these boys got a bit of a chance here. We can, we can do something with this. We can, we can run, but they just need to, you know, move a few things about. And yeah, I mean, that was um, late 2013, and there was the two dynamics. There was there was Lewis, who was the louder one, and 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 Ben, who was the quieter one, the introvert. And they always train with a bunch of lads. Um, there, was, there was some other lads, Craig and, and, and uh, a couple of other guys in there who used to train together. Um, and yeah, I just get, they just keep asking me questions, you know, different, different things. Um, some, you know, just, uh, I, don't, I can't even think of the questions, but, you know, just questions about business. What do we do with this? What do we do with that? What do you think of this? Um, for me, it was, it was A, the persistence, because they just kept coming back and, um, you know, um, I think Lewis used to record, he says, like pecking your head. You know, that's what he used to say. I'm going to peck your head now. And, and, you know, I think it was just that I had a real interest in, in the gym, uh, you know, even in those days and, and, you know, them changing the dynamics of what the design was at that time from, you know, uh, sort of tracky bottoms at the time were, were big, so quite baggy things, you know, to this more slimmer fit. I thought was, you know, this is really good. This is different. So it was just the different ideas they had, the enthusiasm they had. You know, it was like unbridled. I suppose I went back to my sort of... You saw 18, a bit of, you saw a bit of you Yeah, well, I was yeah. like, you know, when I was, was 18, you know, I'd work like four days on the trot, four days and three nights and stuff like that, you know. And, and, and they were doing those sort of mad things and it was like, you know, they were just a bit mad with it, young. And, and you know, I, I think that was it. It was that... And prob- I think probably a little bit of it as well was, you know... Um, that fatherly thing, sort of, you just know. Just to put your arm around. You know, I mean, like, you know, a couple of young lads. I mean, I've got two girls and they're absolutely wonderful. Um, but maybe from that point of view, I never had a son and maybe that was sort of kicking in. I don't, I don't really know, but I just like, I like both of them, to be fair. And did you remember kind of what state the business was in and where it was at kind of quite well in terms of like when you walked in there? So initially it was around about four and a half million. I think there was eight staff. Uh, most of them were friends and family, so you know Lewis's sister, um, Ben's brother, and it was their friends and things like that. So completely disorganised. It was just fun to them. It was just a bit of a laugh, and they were making money. I think they both at the time drove R8 Audi sports cars. Yeah. So you know they they sort it's of a typical a, ecom car that is. Yeah, they they had a real good Black Friday probably, and then went and bought themselves it. They always bought the same each, so they had to have the same because of two of them. They're fifty fifty. Um, so again, it, it was it was a good business, um, but it was just a little bit chaotic. It was a little bit chaotic. It was really chaotic. You know, there was no substance to it, um, but they were making good money. Yeah. So by substance, you mean you mean there's no executive suite up there. There's no uh, there's not even that. You know, there was they didn't really. I don't even know if they had insurance. Um, their accountant should never have been an accountant. You know, there was no numbers, there was no, uh, they didn't have any stock count of any description. Um, you know, if it was, yeah, it, it was, it was C to the pants. But, you know, I think again, another Steve Hewitt saying is that you don't know what you don't know. 
So how did you how did you so you go in there? You see all this, and it's obviously not ideal. What was the what was the, some of the first things that you went and went and changed and put in place? So it was recommending Lloyd. So the first thing I did to them was I talked about a shareholders agreement. If they fell out, right, and they said, "Well, we're never going to fall out." Obviously, you know, it's history now about them falling out and Lewis leaving. So. That was probably the best thing I've ever done was recommend they have a shareholders agreement so that if they did fall out, there would be a mechanism for them to work it out legally. Um, so that was the very, one of the very first things I did. Um, and it was always a struggle with them because, again, you know, they sort of, you had to sort of push a bit to get things done. Um, the most pivotal moment was um, when they'd ordered some stock. Their, their, their suppliers at the time were, um, you know, a company in China. They didn't really know who they were at that point. And um, they hadn't delivered, and they they were you know they were just out of stock, out of stock, out of stock, and couldn't sell anything. And it was just getting. And I think Ben came to the gym. He looked really ill, and he hadn't slept for like you know three or four days, worrying about it. Um, at that point, I arranged. So I, I said, okay, I'll make a phone call. I'd got a friend of mine who could who was buying uh, clothes and stuff out of um, uh, Turkey. So that was a three week. I think three weeks to get it on the road, whereas yep. I think to put it on the boat in China was, I think that time, like about 20 weeks or something stupid. I can't think when. Um, so I said, look, you need to find another supplier. So um called my mate, arranged a meeting, which had to be in my office because they hadn't got any tables and chairs to sit at um, because it was just such a mess at the unit in Bromsgrove. Um, and this guy came along and he brought another guy with him. Um, so I was Ben and Lewis's sort of consultant about it and they bought their consultant which was actually Steve Hewitt so I'd seen him in the gym so again this is the Bromsgrove gym's got a lot to answer for um, I'd seen Steve in the gym but didn't know him at all just knew him to walk past and maybe nod at you know just because he was working out of there and um, then we had the meeting they could do something in Turkey and all that went well. But then I spoke to Steve afterwards because he really, he really sort of contributed to the meeting. And I said, okay, what, what do you do? And he was like, well, I'm ex-Reebok. I did this, I did that, I did that. I was like, okay. I, I, got, said, I got an idea. We, I got an idea. So I went to the guys and said, we, we, you, know, you need Steve. He's got the experience. I can only do what I can do, but he's got the commercial experience. Um, so we took on Steve as a consultant initially I think it was a couple of days a week then it went to three days a week and then snowballed into you needed an hour's MD so we started off as MD talk me through the conversation after he was MD obviously he goes to be CEO right talk me because I presume I'm just thinking outside the box here but I presume that you kind of identified that that at that time that Ben wasn't right to kind of be the founder CEO no they to be fair, we had a real good dynamic in the business. Uh, once Lewis had exited, um, there was actually three of us. So again, you never came out of the room with, with not having a decision. It didn't matter, you know, and again, you didn't come out bitching either. You know, if you were the one and they were the two, you didn't bitch about it. It was like, okay, fine, that's a decision. We're off. Let's, 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 let's go. Um, and it just became apparent at the time because, again, you know, like most businesses now, um, someone starts a business, oh, I'm the CEO. Back in my day, it used to be the managing director. You know, the CEO was somewhere up there, somewhere. Um, and 
obviously Ben and Lewis, I think, were joint CEOs. Then obviously when Lewis went, it left Ben as the CEO. But he literally hadn't got the experience of any way, shape or form to do that at that time. And he also recognised it as well as us. So again, it was a, it was a, a joint decision. It, it wasn't, you're not good enough, you need to come down. It was a joint decision. I think it was very powerful though how he how he took it and identified it and then also went and you know knew that he had to learn through the game so yeah. that he could step back into yeah. that role. Yeah. And he's very good at that. That's one of his absolutely brilliant points. Um in, in his ability to and that's what he saw in, in, in Steve and I at that time and other people. You know, there's been other people in the business uh for Ben to learn off. To be able to, to, to watch people do things, learn and listen, take it on board. He's quite deep. He's an introvert at heart, you know, um, despite what you see on the, you know, the yeah. YouTube. He's actually an introvert and he'll take it all in, mush it around and then come out with his version. Yeah. And w- at what point did you kind of identify in your own mind that this could be a unicorn business that values at over a billion? Oh, it just crept up on us, to be honest. And I think that... that that surprised us at that time. Uh, I think we all knew we'd got something. Um, we knew it was a great business. We knew it was cash rich. That was fantastic. And we knew that we could do really great things, you know, in terms of building great offices and, and you know, um, so GSHQ, uh, GSLC, you know, we've got the other places. We knew we could do all those things, you know, with good staff, great, great sort of... Um, culture that was built um i think it really surprised us when you know we did the the ga thing that we got labeled as the unicorn because we just never really heard the term or thought about it um so again i think everything was going in the right direction for us at that time yeah and you kind of just felt like you 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 had the market fit and rode the right wave yeah essentially just thing you know it, it was like when covid came you know covid came I remember us calling what we call COBRA meetings, uh, similar name to the government one. And we all sat down and we, we worked out what we got in the bank and we worked out how long we could last. And we're like, okay, let's knuckle down. You know, it could be a bumpy ride. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, everyone got locked down and everyone's working out in some way, shape or form or walking or whatever. Or lounging went, around <laughs> in tracksuits. So literally sales just went through the roof and it was like, oh shit, okay. Didn't, we didn't see that one coming. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's just one of them things, being in the right place, the right time, having the right, you know, we'd got a lot of stock. We'd, you know, everything just went our way. And the, the one thing I, I, I resonate from, from listening to your story before this and obviously reading more about you is the fact of, like, at every point in time, as far as I can see, you've always planned when you're going to exit something. Like, in terms of, like, with the end in mind, would, that be, would, that, would I be true in saying that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm a big planner. Um, so, you know, uh, with, with Jim Sharp, for instance, everything was planned. You know, everything is really sort of sweet with us all. You know, I still talk to Ben. You know, I could, it might be daily, weekly, whatever he wants. Um, you know, I'm still a shareholder. Um, but yeah, it, it's planned and I, and I do that a lot. You know, from, from my mind, I've sort of got an idea when I'm going to be ready and when I want to move on myself for whatever the reason is. And, you know, it might not be, it's not necessarily about money, you know. Um, for me, with with me leaving Gymshark, which is you know it's beautiful, wonderful, huge, you know sort of big business now, um, was that that wasn't suiting my style. 
I wanted to offer more to people. I wanted, um, I wanted to, to people to listen a little bit more than then, you know, the guys at Gymshark now need to, to run free a little bit. They need to sort of, they've listened to me for long enough. They now need to do it. They now yeah. need to see what they've got. What, what have they got in their locker? You know, the, the Noel Max, the Niran Charnas and people like that are young, very bright, special people. They need to now see what they can do. And, you know, we're still here. I'm still here. I'm not running away. They've got my number. They know any time, day or night, they can call me. But they need to see what they can do uh, for themselves without people like me. 100%. Noel Mack, I remember him when he was a videographer. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's how far he's come as a, as a chief of brand. Yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? Hugely talented. You know, hugely, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, they, there's some hugely talented people there that I think now's that time for Gymshark to, 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 to show its way on in, you know, in a slightly different way. You know, but it's got some real solid foundations to be moving moving uh, forward on. Yeah. And for me, with other, you know the other things, you know, um, I've, I've got several Haru, um, Energym, um, um, Arcs Alliance, um, BB Iconics, um, to take an, another one, um, uh, which is good. And then I've got obviously uh, the, the football, which has reared its head. <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want, I want to talk about the football in a bit, but yeah. I want to talk about Haru first. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like in terms of like, what, what, what was your thought process between between buying that? Is it something you decided because you knew you were going to exit, so you, you were looking to acquire a brand? Or yeah, so I've got I've got Hera and I've got Haru, which is another one. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, so Hera was um, I, I knew Ash White, who, who was the owner and founder of it. Um, um, Ash, no secret, came to to Gymshark to to for us to buy him. I think it's about two thousand eighteen. And you know we we talked through a deal and it, it didn't come off and and he went to he, he went away and carried on with his business. He had a, a couple of issues in the business, you know. He 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 uh, met some people, did a deal with someone for stock, and it just wasn't the right thing uh, that he did, and it's caught it caused him a lot of problems. Um, Ash came back to me um, sort of about the middle of last year. Um, initially, as you know, are you interested at Jim Shark? And and I asked Ben, and he he wasn't at the time. But I said I was and said, can you know, give me permission to talk to him? And he said, yeah, no problem. And, and then I, I struck a deal with Ash and uh, the initial deal was uh, 70%. Um, and then Ash would remain a 30% silent shareholder. Um, short, I think within about a month, Ash decided that that wasn't for him. He didn't want to be silent. He wanted, I think, to be more vocal and that it just wasn't going to suit him. And, and you know, we agreed on a, on a deal to buy the other 30 So got the whole 100% now, which I think is better for me and actually better for Ash in the end. Yeah. You know, I think he... Clean he'll, break. Yeah, he'll, he'll go on to do something really special again, you know. I mean, he, he did, he got Hera going with nothing. You know, I think a few hundred pounds or, you know, I think his mum and dad might have mortgaged their house. So, you know, he's done so well and what he did, I mean, it was initially famous because of the, he got it on the Geordie Shore guys and, you know, a few other famous people like that. Um, so, you know, it, it was a brand that was out there Renowned for skinny jeans initially, that was its what yeah. the famous for. Built a the cult following Shore. on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you know, um, Ash, you know, I think he would say himself had struggled over the last couple of years, you know, just because of this strangulation from, you know, this, this problem that he had and it was really restricting him. So I think now he'll go on, you know, the, the money he's taken, he can go on to do some great things in whatever else he's going to get himself into. And I'm sure he will. He'll make a great success of it. So... 
um, you know, I, w- I wish him all the best. And that's another example where you've left it win-win because you still have a good relationship with him because you've obviously paid him fairly for the, for the exit of the business. So you still have a good relationship. Yeah, with him, so. I, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's what he would have wanted if he, you know, um, how can I put it? If he could have got it to where he, he could have got it, you know, yeah. with some maybe some better luck and, and judgment, then, you know, he he would have wanted far more for it. And he, I think, you know, he ultimately wanted it never to sell it and to be, a you know, a multi-billion pound brand. That wasn't to be. So I think, again, we you know we've both gone, we've got what we both wanted. And, you know, our idea for Hera now is I, I bought it with, with my daughters in mind. So I've got Holly um, and Georgia. So Holly's the CEO. Yeah. And George is a CBO, and they've got a lot to live up to. And, you know, I've told them, you know, they've got to live up to it. And, you know, they're not there for the name only. Um, you know, sort of daddy hasn't bought them a business. Um, I, I really, really like the business. It's one of the strongest brands. I mean, and that, those words came from Ben Francis. So when Ben says this is a strong brand, you know it's strong because he knows his stuff. So, you know, we bought a strong brand, uh, put my daughters in, in now, but they're hiring people along the way that are better than them at what they do yeah. and they'll continue to do that with me in the background and currently got a menswear um, uh, brand streetwear the idea is to put a, a, a women's wear by the end of the year or it's about September October time and then you know it'll it'll sort of mix together where there'll be you know uh, more of a unisex type brand as well as the men's and women's wear so you know we're moving along in a, a sort of co- cohesive way. When you've got something that's so male-dominant as a brand, how do you bring in the expertise to pivot into women's wear? Because I, I, t- I tend to see in the marketplace there's a lot more choice for women than there, than there is for us as men. I mean, we just bang on a white or a, or a black T-shirt and we're fine and a pair of jeans, we're, we're sweet. But with women's, it's like there's so many different types of outfits that they can buy. How do you get the right people on the bus to get the right kind of clothing that kind of suit this new style that you're trying to create? So again, the, the girls have got experience in, in obviously... The, the women's side, Holly, uh, especially, you know, that's her forte. They both were d- design students, um, but again, their hiring designers are much better than them. Um, with both this in mind, so menswear and women's wear, so they've already done that. The collection is already designed. The collection will, is being built now in super quick time. I mean, you know, they've done an incredible job. It's just about hiring really, really good people and having that foresight to say, okay, fine, we're going to make this into a really, really good brand. Um, but it's about the people, quality, and you know, showing that this business is having the foundations put into play, ready to make it something much, much bigger than it currently is. So you know, we're building this. I so just uh, took on some new offices. You know, we've been in serviced offices up till now. You know, and that's great. You know, it was fine, but it was costing a fortune. And for the same money as having a small room, I've, I've, had a, I've been able to get an office, but I've had to take a lease yep. and commit myself to it. And say fine, okay. Now and those offices are phenomenal, I must say. They're, they're, it, yeah, I mean, they look nice, but it's, uh, it's all second-hand furniture that we put in there. You know, the staff sort of are not going in sugar-coated. There's a load of second-hand furniture gone in, um, but it looks nice, and um, it's allow it's going to allow them to grow. Um, and I'm a big believer. You know, if you want to create, you need space. Yeah, and you need space that inspires you to create. Yeah, you can't just. You can, so obviously, those that white box that you're paying a lot for wasn't exactly inspiring people to be creative in terms of design was no. it it was starting to get on people's nerves you could you could feel the tension at times you know and you got designers in there who are sort of cramped and people are talking and they're putting headphones on and isolating themselves because they don't want to listen to other people you know just talking you know it's fine you know yeah. but again 
this allows them to go and you know, go into a room if they want or you know, go and just give themselves some space and some freedom and you know, just feel that air around them and things like that. And you know, they, for me, that's what it's about. I mean, you know, the, the guys are in, they're, they're, they work four days a week in, one day they can work at home. A lot of them come in on that day. Yeah. Um, you know, we give them sort of direction, but slight freedom, you know. Um, we, we think it's best for the business on the four days, and we're going to keep plugging that along unless we're approved otherwise. That's the way it'll stay. Yeah. I'm a big believer in if you want to build a team, you want to build culture, you've got to be together. You have to be around each other. And those young young people who come in, because again, I want them as, you know, the people as young as we possibly can, because I'm really interested in that dynamic of Gen Z, et cetera. Um, they, they learn when they're in, you know, just by looking across, like I did, we talked about earlier, watching yeah. people. I mean, I can, you know, rebuild an engine on, on, a, on, a, on a truck. I never went to a college. I never went to anything. I watched someone do it who taught me while they were doing it. Yeah. And, you know, um, I can weld. I never... That was, you know, was actually watching, okay, can I have a go and doing that and other things like that. And that's been one of the things I've, I've learned. And I just think that's invaluable, you know, um, watching people to learn them I in again. Yeah. We, we were talking before the podcast and you were telling me about, you know, I asked you what one of the most key important skills is in your opinion. And it's like that ability to listen. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's knowing when you should you should listen. And, yeah. uh, and I was telling to, saying to you about when you do so many reps of a podcast, it's like when you listen to podcast five compared to listening to the Reebok founder, yeah. it's like Joe Foster. You kind of, you can see that there's a lot more listening going on. And it's like, it, it wasn't lost on me that you thought that, that was such an important skill. Oh, for definitely. You've got two ears, one mouth. Yeah, it's for it Says it all. You know, it's, um, and I think, you know, for me, when you, you're looking at people and you think, You've got the quiet guy at the back who's taking it all in. Yeah. And you've got the loud one at the front who's listening to nothing. Um, I know which one I probably was. I was the quiet guy at the back listening. Um, that's my philosophy. And it, 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 as I say, that's what's worked for me, you know, to say learning how to build an engine or, you know, looking at business. And, you know, I've listened to many, many uh, like podcasts and, and people talking about stuff and, these guys have got all this wisdom. You listen to them and think, actually, I already do that. You do it without knowing yeah. a lot of the time. But again, it's nice to recognize that you do it uh, from, you know, from someone who's you know, a business guru of some description. But you know, um, it, it, listening to me is good. Yeah. How, how important has, has fun been through this whole journey to you, though? Because I kind of feel like from looking around where, where you live and how you operate and everything that's going on around here in your home. And I just I just see a man that's had a lot of fun in life. Yeah, you've got to have a lot of... I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it probably doesn't seem like that at times to people. I can be quite serious. But, you know, for me, um, I've, I've gone through life with... I've partied, I've gone to clubs, I've done all the drinking and all the rest of it that I need to do. Um you know, but I've worked really hard at the same time, you know, so, you know, we used to do that, go to clubs in Birmingham back in the day and then go straight to work at two in the morning because I used to finish at two in them days, you know, you, yeah. not, not not now. I mean, so it used to finish at two and you think, well, I can't go home to bed because I won't get up. I'll go straight into work. Um, so, yeah, I've done, done, done plenty. Again, for me, you know, different things now that I enjoy, you know, enjoy, enjoy the gym. I always have done. I don't think there's any loser with the gym. I think for me, it, it gives you so many different things that are relatable to business. 
in that, you know, if you're going to build your shoulders up, you can't just build them up in two minutes. You can put all the steroids you want in you. It still won't happen in two minutes. Um, you're going to have to take time, and it's going to be layer after layer after layer. It's doing the reps, isn't it? Doing the reps, doing the hard work. And, you know, again, no substitute for hard work. Um, yeah. I know it's a dirty word nowadays, and Stephen Bartlett talks about it quite a lot, and he's absolutely right. What in the fact that there's not enough hard work in the world now in terms of like staying the course of something? I think it's because it's criticised all the time. Mm. You know, then throwing the mental health card in all the time. Um, and I'm a massive advocate for mental health, and anyone who knows me knows that. You know, I did a load of stuff at Gymshark by bringing in a load of mental health uh, experts to help athletes and staff and everyone. And it's still there now today, if you look on, on online. Um, I'm a massive advocate of it because, again, I'm also a massive advocate for counsellors and stuff like that. I'm not an advocate for someone giving someone a tablet and thinking yeah, that's going to be it's right. Not going to solve the problem. No, I'm a, I'm a counsellor person, and I've had lots of counselling over time for different things. Openly admit it, but for me, it's it's that thing about the criticism or whatever of hard work or whatever that definition of hard work is. Um, it's hard, you know, working hard and working smart. I, I'm totally in agreement with that. But I don't know any successful person who's got their wealth and success from work that hasn't worked really hard or an athlete that didn't work really hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you talk about Kobe Bryant or you know, Jordan or, you know, Ronaldo. Ronaldo's there like after hours doing work, you know, kick after kick after re-kick. And it's the same with business people. You know, I, you know, you have to, I believe you have to work hard. But I think today that gets, it's almost like a dirty word because it's, oh, what about the mental health and stuff like that? I think... So you know, it's, it's, it's an easy, it seems like an easy route for people to take to get out of doing the hard work. Because, because it's quite easy at this moment in time to say, to say lots of things like you can... You can you can pull out different cards like ADHD or mental health or a race card here and there and everywhere and kind of use that as a instead of being self-realizing with the fact of like hang on a minute there's a trigger there's an issue here I've got to deal with it myself and kind of move and accentuate through it you're essentially you're essentially stopping yourself from de developing it in essence because you don't accept the fact that you're the one with the issue so you'll just pull out a card yeah I mean I mean Look, I don't, I don't, you know, know anyone who probably hasn't got some sort of issue somewhere, and you know, they might put a, a you know, a, a name to it or not. You know, I know, you know, my past I have. You know, resilience gets you around things, and you know, a lot of things that I think people today uh, sort of, uh, t you know, put a, put a name to. It's just normal life. You know, life throws you loads of bumps in the road as you Lessons. go along. Yeah, all the time, and you know, you can come up against it and. You're going to have to get past that somehow. So you need to work out how to get past that. And if that's counselling, fine. If it's having a word with yourself, you know, or whatever it might be, you've got to do to get past it and build up your resistance, your resilience. Because again, what you want to do is the next time that comes up, you don't want it to be a road bump. You just want to drive straight over it and it'll be fine. And, you know, because you don't want to keep having that same road bump all the time, all the time. So trying to work out, and that, that then gives you resilience. And, you know, I think if you're going to be successful in any way, whatever it might be at, whether, you know, that's an Olympic swimmer or, you know, um, uh, you know a YouTuber, whatever it is, you're going to have different road bumps that you're going to come up against. And you've just got to work out how to navigate them and build your resilience up 
to be able to do that because I think otherwise I just don't think you're going to be who you think you want to be because I don't think you're going to put the yards in. And, you know, I just believe you've got to put the yards in to do it. I mean, I was never the most intelligent person um, from school, um, never went to university, um, but I've worked hard. And and my mantra when I was uh, in, in the waste game was, if I work seven days and the other guys work five days, that's about 100 days a year extra that I'm working. I'm going to be 100 days ahead of them by the end of the year, which is a lot. Yeah. And that's all. That's the way I worked. Is, I, I take a similar mantra to everything I'm trying to build with, with what I'm trying to build here. It's like, you know, if you want to be the best in a podcast or anything in a certain country, it's like, well, how many of them actually leave to go and do podcasts in other places to go to go and to go and yeah. bring this knowledge into that country. It's yeah. like not many people are willing to back themselves in that way. So go and be that guy, go and be that person who will back them. But one of the things that I presume that you really had to, to work through and overcome in your, in your journey is the fact of like, obviously the marriage breakdown and obviously having to get a divorce and all that kind of stuff that you had to go through with that. And I, I suppose that taught you a lot of lessons in life that you took forward. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's, that's probably the, the toughest thing. I mean, my, my dad passed when I was, uh, 30 um that's one of the tough ones yeah but again you know what do you do he's, he's passed i've got to crack on and i want to prove to him you know whether he's here or not that i can do what i can do um you know when you have a a marriage or a relationship breakup yeah i mean it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do and you know for me it, it definitely was it, it 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 was possibly the hardest thing um that i've ever done because again uh, i don't want to fail <laughs> I feel see myself as a winner so you know you treat it as a failure um, it's hard on, 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 on the kids you know you're trying to do your best around that and you know hopefully you know myself and, and my ex-wife you know did that we, we talked today you know um, still still talk no problem at all um, but it does put you back you know and, and in terms of financially yeah. it'll put you back for certain um, but that's you know that's just the way it is um, and then you know yeah mentally it can affect you and you again you just got to come again it's a road bump mm-hmm. and you're going to have to go find well okay what what am I going to do about this now we are where we are I want to move forward so you know again for me it was okay you've got to double down on everything and you know prove to everyone that I can do what I've got to do and I'm still going to be what I'm going to be because it can be hard for, for, for a man as driven as you that's doing as much as you are doing in business which probably had because you were probably out of the house that probably had a, a reason to do with maybe the breakdown in its essence because you're out there working so hard but it's like when when a situation like that happens you know for sure in any in any part of the world that you you've just lost half your working capital straight off the bat to go to go and do what you're trying to do to provide for your family so it's quite a difficult pill for a man to swallow when that happens you know to yeah. go through all that i think i took a slightly different view at what at a certain point I didn't initially because again you get quite bitter at times because again as you say you know whatever the percentages you lose and um, you know it's generally a bit more than 50 um, you you feel really aggrieved and you know think oh whatever when I looked at it actually objectively and look back and again I had I had help with this had counseling and you know people start to talk to you about different things and I'm a I'm a risk I, I like taking risk so I've risked everything I've ever had sometimes at business, literally the role of almost of a dice, you know, in business. Because again, if I'm all in, I'm all in. Um, what I realised was that, you know, when I, I left, that gave that money to, to my now ex-wife, she wouldn't risk it. So there was always going to be something there for my children. Yeah. So in fact, 
even though I've done what I've done and I've been successful and everything is okay, I didn't know that at the time. So it was think uh, that that was my, my my sort of way of thinking that I came round to was well, at least that's banked. She's protected. She's that. protected that fair play, and she she won't spend it. She'll look after it, and that'll be good because my kids, you know, will get a, a in a reasonable start. Now, you know, um, I've I've been successful, and that's been okay. But at that time, that's how I rationalised it, and that's the box that I put it into. So, how important then to you is kind of like mentorship and 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 coaching and and like counselling and and all that kind of stuff? How how important is that to you in terms of like? everything you're doing is that something that's appeared right from the the offset or is it something you've brought in later down the track probably i mean counseling to me was probably since uh uh mid 2000s yeah you know um when you you sort of realize that you can't figure everything out yourself and you know for me then it was a case of right i can't figure it out i'm going to need help and you know listening to certain people um different different areas i did um hypnosis one that was quite yeah, good yeah. I, I quite like that it was really good fan as a, a, a lovely woman that I went to um, Fiona and, and she's still around now Fiona Campbell um, went to her and she was amazing with different things that, are, that I needed help with um, that way I think counselling is, is really good mentoring I just I just love you know for me having the right people around you I didn't realise the sort of people around me when I was really younger were doing that. It was just guys that I knew in the business that were were there and I was talking to. Um, I didn't probably realise at that time that I was just absorbing everything more from everyone. Mentoring them days probably wasn't around. Um, today it is. I mean, I think I told you earlier. I mean, I do, um, I do about two hours a week, four half an hour, where literally anyone who DMs me um, or, you know, on, that's on Insta or, or LinkedIn or whatever... I'll find them a slot as soon as I possibly can, just bung it in the diary. And <laughs> You're going to regret saying that on I know, this podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> but, I, you know, it, 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 it's yeah. a really good thing. It, yeah. it works for me. I mean, I haven't got all the time in the world, and it will be. Sometimes I've got to say, right, you, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take you a couple of weeks. But, you know, for me, I'll do my best to try and answer people and, and give them half an hour and, and answer some questions and just give them a bit of comfort. Sometimes it's, you know, hard. Yeah, you know they don't really want it. You know, it's you know they've got a, a brand and they're in their bedroom and they're doing this and the other. And I'm like, you're not committed enough. Yeah, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, and you can either hear it or not hear it. And other times, it's it's like different, but yeah, because that was that that was one of the key things that stood out for me is that is that conversation that you had with with Ben and Lewis back in the day. It's like, do you want to be a lifestyle brand? Have your R eights? Have your few million quid a year? Boom, boom, boom. Or do you want to be? Are bigger than that, and then obviously Ben replied to that that he wanted to be as big as big as Under Armour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, okay, then there's going to be lots of changes, lots of changes, and and we've you know that has actually happened. You know, in terms of the types of changes we talked about, they they have happened. Yeah, and it was you know I think the ability of Ben to adapt to those changes that, that are making what he is now. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's if you are someone that's going to reach out to to you know and ask your advice. You, you you got to be willing to 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 listen to what they're asking for essentially because there's no use asking you for advice and then and then not implementing the changes that you that you see. Well, they can make their choice, can't they? You know, yeah. I, I don't I don't say what I you know what I say is absolute gold, and they should just go and do it. You know, for them they have to they have to absorb it, see if it's right for them, and then put it into practice. But you know, the the, the, the things for me that a lot of people lack is like that like we talked about earlier just that you know you're going to realize this is hard 
you know, you do realise that if you can't pay someone, you're going to have to go and find the money yourself from somewhere. How are you going to juggle this? How are you going to juggle that? It's not all roses. Because once you've sold them a few T-shirts to a few of your mates on Instagram, yep. and you think you've now got a brand, there's actually a load of other stuff to do before yep. it actually you, you get there. You know, yeah. and you can, you know, you might fail five times, ten times, whatever number of times first. But if you haven't got the resilience to get back up again and go again, then you're not going to be an entrepreneur. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be knocked down a fair few times yeah. on yeah, in yeah, in yeah. in the pursuit of what what lights you up. Yeah, essentially, just, just get back up more times. You're knocked down. It's as simple as that. But you're going to get knocked down. We all do. And if you don't, you didn't try. And it's it's about how you get knocked down, isn't it? Because you think about it in, from a boxing point of view, it's like how do you take that punch so you can ride it so you can get up within ten seconds? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's that kind of mentality yeah. in business. And sometimes you've got to take longer. You know, sometimes it's a it's a big punch, and you've got to just gather your thoughts. And you know, maybe it almost looks like you've lost. Yeah, you lost that fight, but you've got to get back up again yeah. and come back again. So it doesn't necessarily always mean that you jump back up and you know a bit like Tyson Fury that time. You know, maybe. You've got to stay down because you are hurt this time. But you can either stay down, maybe never get back in the ring or never bother. Or you can go, okay, fine. Yeah, I, I'm getting back in the ring. I'm going to do better this time. But what, what is it now that, tr- that, that you think truly lights you up and gets you, like, you stop and going now? Um, I just like a challenge. I, I love a challenge. I mean, you know, um, I, I like to contribute um the companies i've now joined and invested in um i I know i will be able to contribute and and in ways that they want me to um if i can't contribute i don't want to be there it's as simple as that i'm not there to earn loads of money out of something necessarily um you know if i invest obviously if it comes that's fantastic um but i need to contribute that's what gets me up um, I'm learning at the moment. I've gone from sort of Gymshark, which is one thing, to now several things. So I've got to learn a different way of life. But I quite like that. You know, it's fright- It's a bit scary now and again. Even for you now? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. But you've got to have that butterflies and think, okay, I've, got to, I've got, now got to readapt my life to this new way where I'm spending two days here. So I'm off to Belfast next week to meet up with the Haru guys. Um, it's, you know, it's a great concept. It's the, uh, you know, the pre-loved clothes. Um, they've got the charities and, you know, um, pre of clothes is just going to explode. You know, second-hand, they don't, no one wants to call it that. Um, but, you know, sort of... Um, and is that, is that, when you say pre-loved, is that like second-hand designer or second-hand anything? Mainly designer, yeah. you know, because obviously that's where the value is. Yeah. Um, but they're linked to all the charities and we want to get them into retail now. That's a huge thing. You know, we'll do it at Hera at some point where you can send the clothes back. And, you know, we're sort of closing the loop, um, you know, sustainability and everything and uh, linking Haru to that for us. And, and I just think they've got a great concept. They've got a great platform and um, it's going to be huge. I think you've bought as well two brands that you can kind of put together and, yeah. kind of, and, and that you've seen that. Yeah. And how, obviously, look, when, it, when you look at a lot of successful businesses, what I've, what I've understood over time is the fact of like, you know, if you... If you, most businesses that want a marketing department, they'll buy a market, a great marketing business for whatever they need and, and plug it in. Is that something you believe in? Kind of buying these businesses and amalgamating I, them I together? You, I think you can do. And um, I think that is definitely a way forward. You know, again, if, you, if you've 
built yourself up with using, using consultants, say marketing, for instance, yeah. and then you know you want to or, or tech tech's a good example. Yeah, you know the small tech company that have been helping you out, and and that works for you. Then yeah, buy them in. If not, you're just buying in really really good people. You know, and sometimes that's it's almost like buying the company because you're buying you know the, the talent. But um, for me, I'm positioned at the moment in areas that I really like. And I really think is the future. So, you know, the used, used I'll use the word used clothing because that's what everyone understands at the moment. Like that's on Depop and, yep. you know, thrift and things like that. That really works for me because that's going to, I think it's going to be huge. It's, it's going to be the fastest growing part of fashion for a long time, you know, especially with Gen Z and stuff like that. Cybersecurity, I mean, it's, it's just like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. And, you know, the guys at ARCS, you know, they've got something that's to do with the supply chain. So most of the time your attacks come through through your supply chain. Right. Not, because if you're a big company, you've probably got really good cyber security. Right. Um, but your supply chain maybe hasn't. Because so, they may be in China, they may be India, they may yeah, be Yeah, or, or a little company in, you know, in Wolverhampton or, you know, West Midlands or something like that. So, again, they haven't got good security and that's where they'll come through. Um, so that's where that's where they are. Um so yeah, it's it's it, there are a couple of really good ones. Energy is is energy from um, gym equipment. So so, it, so basically, as people are using the apparatus, it's generating yeah, energy so bikes, sell back to the grid. Uh, rowers, and then it will translate to there is there is technology to do it from, say, a deadlift. But I mean, it's mainly from a machine that moves. And how big an industry do you think that'll be? Oh, I think it's huge. I think as we're going on now with with um, with the way power is going, and and particularly you know electric and everything else, and sustainability. It's a no-brainer again. So I don't just do it for the sake of it. I'm looking at areas that I really think there's growth in. So you're, you're always looking for, okay, what's the blue ocean here? Where, where, yeah. where's, where's the world going to yeah. rather than where is it at now? Yes. And where can I position a bit of capital so that I've got a little bit of an interest in that area of how that's growing? Yeah. I'm looking forward. I don't want to look at what's now. It's what's, I'm trying to look ahead. And, and how far yeah. ahead do you think you are looking? I'm, see, I'm, you know, to me, I, I think Gen Z in particular, in, in, you know, Hera, Haru in particular, Gen Z is particularly attractive. So, you know, that's sort of still, they're still young enough to be not buying stuff at the moment. But again, what they're going to be influenced by, what they're going to do, you know, yeah. what social media platforms are they going to be on by then, how they're going to operate. You know, you know, I watch my, my girlfriend's son at the moment, you know, he's 14. And, you know, Liverpool will be on, which is a Liverpool fan. But he's got that on one screen. He's got his um, sort of uh, Xbox on this screen and his phone on here. And they're doing all the... He's doing at 14, which is Gen Z. He's doing all three. Yeah. So for me, it's like working out why and wherefore and how that can apply to business. Yeah. And, you know, how are they thinking? Because, again, you want to know how your customer's thinking to know what they're going to purchase, buy, yeah. what they like, what they don't like. You know, do they like your brand so you're watching you know, yeah so you're you know, you're out there watching what, what gen yeah. z are doing yeah what you know do, do they like your brand because again i think that's going to be really really important well i know it is it's yeah. simple as that and wh- if you were give to if you were going to give some advice in terms of like where these where my audience should be looking right now in terms of like what you know the best places to look for for the up-and-coming opportunities in terms of like for business and that where, I'd, where, I'd, where I'd look at what gen z want and like and start examining that. And there's some really good people out there who've got some really good studies. Um, there's a guy called Jay Richards, um, quite a good friend of mine. I've done lots of work with him. Um, but he just, you know, they do lots and lots of research and finding out what these people really want, not what people just say. 
you know, what do they yeah, really want? Yeah, what the deep core values yeah, of Yeah, where people. are they going, what are they thinking about? So if you look at, you know, for me, in, like, look at me as a customer, would I go and buy something used? I probably have, I, have, I know I haven't. Yeah. In fact, I have, I just bought a T-shirt last week for my very first one, I'm 63. Um, I bought a used T-shirt, but it's not, it's not sort of, it's not my normal way of doing things. And I'd have to, you know, think slightly different. Whereas what we know about Gen Z is it's just normal. Yeah. They're happy. See that, I think Depop really revolutionised that kind of thing. Because yeah. a lot of girls have got the Depop account. They're selling pre-loved. It's, it's called pre-loved. 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 Yeah, pre-loved. pre-loved is the right word, yeah. And, you know, some of these bags where, you, you know, they're paying $800 for it new and then selling it for four nine nine. It's yeah. like, it's, it's a pretty good way of operating if, yeah. you, if you've got what you need out of it. Yeah. But it's still a great item, yeah. you know. There's just a long way to go now and getting people and getting companies and involved more to bring their stock back you know the fast fashion is you know it's still going to be there but you know how how are the guys uh, the gen z going to think of it you know it's not good for generally not good for the environment it's throwaway. it's this it's that how can we how can we handle that how can how can we help manage that if it's going to stay what are we going to do with it well there's, there's there's when you look at um these countries like bali and, and all parts of indonesia and places like that that are getting where the, where the garbage patch is kind of circling yep. around them and, and they're all getting and the beaches are getting contaminated with all this waste people are starting to realize now that there is a there is a, there is a cost to this and the cost goes way beyond the 7 pound that you pay primark for the t-shirt yeah it's it's a responsibility for everyone and the problem is i mean again i come from a recycling background and and stuff like that so it's it's true to my heart and um you know to think that we could recycle the whole of a dirty nappy even including the solids was was profound you know um and and everything can be done you've just got to work really hard to do it and everyone has to buy in that's the problem yeah and most of the time is everyone doesn't want to buy in and they use the the terms of like you know changing the world it's a really big thing to do yeah you know you need it to break it down smaller and start working on different things and i think you know different industries need to take responsibility for various things and, and work together to do it along with governments and everyone else you know i think you're not going to do it if you just put it all on industry you're not going to do it if you put it all on government and not do it if you just put it all on you yeah. know the consumer it's going to be a combination of everything and again that thing i talked about earlier everyone's got to give a little bit yep. to get to where you want yep. to get to in the in the end and the the actual people have got to understand that the investments you that you put into into making that happen will pay you off down the track because you'll have more yeah. business anyway it's long term yeah. yeah so again you know it's it's this as I say, everyone has to give in, everyone has to put into the pot to be able to make something work because it, it won't work otherwise, that's yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I bought, um, I bought a couple of forests. I've got two forests, one in Scotland, one in Warwickshire because, um, again, it's legacy to me and, you know, I can, if I need to do any offsetting of any description, I can do it in-house. I don't know much about it yet, so, you know, I've, I've got to sort loads of things out, but... Yeah, so I, it, I love the fact that though you you buying it to protect it. I've got one in Warwickshire, which um, really close to my heart. It's only up, up the road from where I live. Um, and actual fact, it's a site of special scientific interest. It's got rare fauna and butterflies and things on it. Um, HS two, which has gone straight through the middle of the country, has had to go underneath it. Right, so it yeah. stopped HS two in its tracks, and they had to go. I think it's ninety meters underneath my land. So they can't come through it. They wouldn't let them come through it. Wow. So that will be there in my heart eyes now. If HS2 can't come through it, nothing's ever going to touch it and it'll be there forever because I'm never going to sell it. It needs to stay as a wood. 
And you and you're going to put that in trust so that it held yeah. it's hold that. We harvest it. the wood, you know. We have to take. We've got a, 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 a like a, a plan to harvest wood and then replant and plant harvest and replant. Yeah. So 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 you you are still turning that into a form of business that pays for itself. Yeah. It's if it washes its face, I'll be really happy. But I mean, for me, it's legacy that you know, I want my great grandchild to sort of be walking through it one day and go, "She was great granddad's." Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is 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 land and wood wooded area and farmland and all that stuff, is that somewhere that you're passionate about keep investing into that into that area as you go along? Um I don't know enough about it. I mean I've 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 ventured into the woodland um as a sort of touching point. I'd like to know a bit more about it. Um but I know some people so again there's some really clever players in the marketplace, you know, so um you know uh who are wealthy families who have invested in farmland and producing food. Again, I think that's a really big area. Again, you know, there's going to be 9 billion people at some point, I think yeah. 2050, and I don't know how we're going to feed them. So, again, I think some real players are actually investing in things like food production, micro-food production, yeah. and, and that fascinates me as well. I, was, I went to a wedding the other day, and um, there was some big farmers at this wedding because, like, family down the track are all, all in that area and um, one of them was telling me that they're, they're going to sell a bit of farmland and, I, and I've, I've been thinking about I want to own a piece of farmland because I think you know like you say pro- production of food and quality land is going to be get harder and harder to get hold of yeah. and if you can own a piece of it and, and then rent it out and buy a bigger, bigger piece and expand yeah. that that's massive that's a massive play it's, it's future food's going to be different in the future, I mean, I think they're going to have to think of different ways of just your normal everyday farming. And we were looking at, I was reading about robotics, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, on farms. So again, you know, literally like robotic, small robotics sort of planting and picking and stuff like that. Um, that's, going, that's what's going to happen. And, and yeah. again, micro foods. Yeah, I've seen a lot. I've read yeah. a lot. I've been reading a lot of studies yeah. into this about how about it's like a Japanese way of farming, isn't it? That yeah. type, type thing. And there's vertical as well and things like that. So yeah. there's lots of different ways I think will start to come out because again we've got to feed people and you know mass production of of things. I mean, I get a little bit sort of tetchy on on some people who start talking about organic everything and this that. And it's just not possible to do everything like that if you're going to feed the number of people we're going to feed so i think we've got to come up with better ways of doing it whether that's micro farming or you know whatever we need to do we need to again pull together work it out but i do know some of the big family funds are invested in farming that's for sure and if they're and if you look at some of some of the biggest transfers in wealth that happened through covid it was it was like uh the chinese were buying a lot of land in australia farmland in australia wow. inside and, and buying the major farms in australia and there's a reason for that and then in america you look at bill gates he's the biggest he's one of the biggest farmland owners in the country well, same as dyson in this country yeah i think they've got more land than the queen but yeah similar things they're going into things which are might not seem very futuristic but then you've got the land and you've got the rest of it to start doing the robotics yeah. and the micro farming and things like that, micro uh, food. Yeah, so if you were going to allocate capital, you'd rather allocate it to more land than you would, say, commercial or something like that now? Yeah, I mean, it's a, mix, a mixture of both for me. I mean, I'm not familiar enough with crypto and all those other things, the NFTs. Yeah. I've sort of, I'm trying to learn. I've got a couple of people I'm talking to. But, you know, um, some of the other stuff makes a bit more sense for me. You know, yeah. so thinking about food, thinking, okay, yeah, that's 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 logical. You know, we've got to feed everyone. That's really logical. 
when I've got NFTs here, I'm thinking, well, I don't quite understand that. I can't, I can't sort of touch it. But you'll invest in this while you think, while, while yeah, you're getting educated. Yeah, start learning about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's just and and you just saying that, saying how willing you are in your sixties to learn about NFTs and learn about crypto in your sixties yeah, to know. And that's that. That's a key point. It's like you know, you you just you're 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 happy to learn about anything. But you just want you just want to, and you'll happily get in a Gen Z to 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 talk to you about it, won't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think listening's one of the great things we said earlier. You know, so you know, when I'm talking to to Archie, you know, um, the girlfriend's son, you know, I'm also trying to learn at the same time. You know, <laughs> but it's like you know, what? what okay, you have got three things on there. You're watching the football. I'd have just watched the football, which I was down. You know, just watching it downstairs. That's enough for me. But he's not. He's on three different things. So yeah. that tells you different something. Um, so yeah, we've got to learn. So guys, if you, if you if you really be self-aware when you're looking at things in the world, don't just look at it for what it actually is. Look at it for what it can be as well, like, yeah, especially in business. Yeah, because it'll open you up to a whole new array of array of things that you can you can do and and see that you perhaps haven't seen the perspective of before. Yeah. If there was like one piece of of if you have to check out tomorrow and you just had to leave one piece of golden advice on the on the on the next generation in terms of business mindset and everything that you've learned in life and put it all together, what would that what would you what what what, what would you leave? It's pretty simple to me. Is you you just don't give up, don't don't, and that getting knocked down because you will get knocked down. If if you're going to make it, you've got to get back up, and that's a simple. I think you couple that to hard work. You know, I think they go hand in hand. But it's always about the getting up to me. You know, getting back up again after you've been hit because you're going to get hit in your life with life things, with things that are unfair sometimes. Some things are fair, some are not. Some are self-inflicted, some are not. But you will get knocked down. So again, you know, it's getting back up again, dusting yourself off, thinking I don't want that to happen again if I can help it, um, and then moving back on. Yeah, and one of the, um, I agree with you, and one of the, like I said, I'm going to say this again, one of the most extraordinary things for me looking at you and, and everything that you've achieved and everything that you're doing in life is just how willing you are to to learn from younger people how willing you are to look at things from a different angle of perspective and also how you're in your 60s but it doesn't mean you stop training do you know what I mean it, yeah. because you, when you train your body you're also training your train mind your mind as well yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and I just think seeing that as a as a as a 34 year old man going into like to see that in you I'm like okay that that's because that's I've always seen that for myself. I'll still be training at sixty-two. Yeah, and it, it, yeah. It, you know, everyone's different as well. With what they want to train, you know. I love lifting, but I admire runners, swimmers, whatever you want to do. For me, is okay. You know, just don't try and tell me to run or try and tell me to swim. You know, and I won't try and tell you to lift. For me, it's 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 whatever you want to do. I I never wanted to be the sort of skinny older guy who could run marathons. That just wasn't me. You know, I wanted sort of to feel a bit better about myself and you know um feel yeah. feel something different and that yeah. lifting did it for me i love it thank and, you and lifting to me is also a bit like meditation because you try and think of anything else when you're lifting a couple of hundred kilos deadlift you can't so your mind goes blank which is good so have you ever had a, a, an unbelievable idea come whilst you're lifting like an absolute game changer no because i'm only thinking of lifting right yeah so there's left no room for nothing else nothing else but I, but but on saying that, I bet you've left the gym after not thinking about business for an hour when you've just been thinking about lifting and had some extraordinary ideas. Yeah, it clears your mind because again, you know, you've gone in with some stress. You've gone in thinking, "Oh, what a shit day that was," and then I always come out after I've lifted. It's only one way out, and I feel good about myself. Even if I haven't had the best workout, 
I will feel better than I walked in. Yeah, I love it. And guys, do me a solid favour, yeah. That's Paul Richardson. He's obviously been involved in some of the biggest brands in the UK and, and doing some unbelievable things. And I know he's going to... I know we're going to have some unbelievable brands to talk about in the next few years as you come back on. But thank you so much for your time. And guys, do, do us a solid favour, yeah. Share this on social. Um, drop drop a comment on all the things on social media as well. If you can leave us a review, if you can DM me and Paul and like just, just let us know how the podcast went for you in terms of what you've got out of it and everything else, that would be sensational too. And, and again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee Podcast.